It's impossible. It really is. It's impossible. One cannot be God-centered and self-absorbed at the same time. You can't be full of self and full of God. And yet it is easy to be self-absorbed, isn't it? Philippians is a book that just marvelously translates truth into life. Look at Philippians 1, 21 through 23. In that passage, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he goes on and says in verse 23, To depart and to be with Christ is very far better. That passage is speaking of Jesus as our life. In other words, we have hearts that pulsate with the compassion of Jesus. In other words, we have hands that are busy about the work of Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Having emphasized Christ's life, he emphasizes Christ's mind. Chapter 2 and verse 5. I tell you what, I wish I thought more in ways that were becoming of my Lord. Don't you? Sometimes I'm too self-absorbed. Sometimes my thoughts are not worthy of Him and His beauty. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Notice especially verses 12 through 16. When Paul writes, you see, Paul is speaking of Jesus as his life. He's speaking of Jesus as the mind that he wants to have, a mind like his. And in chapter 3, Christ is his goal. His goal. He's all that Paul really wants. Far from being self-absorbed, he is Savior-saturated, one might say. And then when you look at the fourth chapter of Philippians, he is our strength, Christ our strength. How often do we try to live life solely in our own strength and by our own abilities? We may offer up a prayer every now and then, Milton, but you know, basically, we're trying to live it on our own. How far that would be from how Paul thought and lived. He would look to Jesus as his strength for getting anything accomplished. This morning we introduced the book of Philippians and looked at chapter 1. Let's move now into chapter 2 and cover the rest of the book through chapter 4. We'll move quickly, but I think you'll be able to follow along well, especially if you have uh, the Bible nearby. Philippians chapter 2. Look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And really what these verses are saying is look out. Look out. There is an exhortation in the first four verses about how to have greater harmony and unity. 
Let me give you a principle from verses 1 through 4, then verses 5 through 8, and verses 9 through 11. If we would really look out for one another and have the unity and harmony God desires. Principle number 1 from chapter 2, 1 through 4. Put to death selfishness and regard others better than yourself in accordance with Christ's will. That can be hard sometimes, can it? Put selfishness to death and regard others as better than yourself in accordance with Christ's will or for Christ's sake. I think that that last part, for Christ's sake, is really important, Carl, because sometimes it is going to be hard to put aside selfishness and to regard others as better. Now look at verses 5 and following. Now what happens is this. This exhortation to unity and harmony is followed by one of the classic passages in the New Testament on the humanity and deity of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Well, let me look at verses 5 through 8 because what he is doing in 5 through 11 is illustrating what it looks like to practice Philippians 2, 1 through 4. What it looks like to practice not being full of yourself but regarding others as better for Christ's sake. In verses 5 through 8, here's the second principle. We want to be a congregation of harmony and unity. Grow in humility. Grow in the humility that Christ showed in the incarnation and in going to the cross. You want to grow in humility? Think about the humility that Christ displayed in coming into the world and dying on the cross. Now verses 9 through 11 of Philippians 2. Look out. You want to have the kind of unity and contribute to the harmony in the congregation that would really please the Lord. 9 through 11. Remember that God exalts the humble and that Jesus is Lord, not us. Remember that God exalts the humble and that Jesus is Lord, not us. A lot of you are jotting things down, and I'm glad about that, but what I'd like you to do is everybody, when you have a moment, look up. Nobody can look at the nail-scarred hands and feet of Jesus and consider his pierced side or where they placed the crown of thorns on his head and remain proud and lacking humility. He did that for us. And what a gesture of humility it is. Now look at Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 16. The expression to remember is poured out. Poured out. Take that back. It's work out. I'm getting ahead of myself. Work out. Philippians 2, 12 through 16. Here's what happens. 
In 12 and 13, maybe you've heard this passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and maybe it's been applied to people who weren't Christians. While the principle is applicable, the context is not saying that at all. Paul's talking to Christians. And he's also talking to a congregation comprised of individual Christians. Work out. And here's the idea. In view of what I have just said about unity and harmony as God's people and being God-centered, every congregation has a responsibility to put away selfishness and to regard other Christians as better than us for Christ's sake. Every congregation has a responsibility to grow in humility by considering the incarnation of Jesus, Him coming to earth and then going to the cross to die. Every congregation needs to think about unity and harmony from the aspect that God exalts the humble and that Jesus is Lord of all, not us. We're not the Lord. Work out this type of humility and attitude And the text says, God will work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. I'm so thankful that Christianity is a partnership. It does not all depend on us. God is working in while we work out. Now notice verse 14, one of the most difficult commands in all of Scripture. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. I like it when we pray for the sick, but I wish we'd pray more to have a mind and a mouth where we would do all things without murmuring and complaining. Because that's where I live. And maybe you do too. And then in verses 15 and 16, it talks about being a light. To a world that is in darkness. I noticed that James tonight in his prayer in Pewpackers prayed that very thing. Look, if you will now, at verse 17, because Paul speaks of being poured out. And he mentions two others that were doing the same thing. Look out, work out, poured out. Paul speaks of himself as an example of someone who tried to humbly follow Jesus. Undoubtedly, he made mistakes along the way, but I think it would be fair to say he's about as faithful as anyone outside of the Lord himself to the will of God. So he is someone very important to look at and to learn from. Look, if you would, at verses 19 through 24. He speaks of the example of Timothy. Here's that word again, mind. I have no man like-minded who's able to minister to your state. He speaks of others. They mind their own things, not the things of the Lord. Timothy was Paul's son in the gospel, so to speak. And he is a man who will pour himself out in service to God. He is a God-centered person. Then he mentions in verses 25 through 30, another person willing to pour themselves out in service and humility, Epaphroditus. 
Epaphroditus made a one-way trip from Philippi to Rome to check on Paul. It's about 700 miles. Imagine a 700-mile trip in 61 or 62 A.D., one way, when this book was written. He got sick and almost died as he was looking for Paul and wanting to minister to him, serve him on behalf of the brethren at Philippi. Poured out in humble service. Thank God that there are many Christians that strongly show that they are God-centered by their words and their actions of humble service. Chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'll break this passage down in its 21 verses by using several I-N-G ending words. All right? The first word is found in Philippians 3.1, rejoicing. Rejoicing. It's amazing that Paul would say finally in most translations and then go on for two more chapters. That just goes to show he is a preacher or an announcement maker, something like that. He says finally, but keeps going. Rejoicing. The book of joy, no matter what the circumstances, because our joy is deeper than circumstances. Look at verses 2 and 3. Looking. Looking. In the English Standard Version, from which I typically uh, do Bible classes, the word look is found repeatedly in Philippians 3, 2, and 3, and it has reference to people that look at... Christianity that look at the way of God and they base far more than they ought on their worth and their actions. And while how we respond to God is really important and there's a place for the biblical discussion of obedience, especially here in a passage like Philippians 3, 2 and 3, the person seemed to have the idea, I've got this, Lord. Thank you very much. But if I need you, I'll let you know. Talk about self-absorbed. Really, there's no need for a Savior with such a viewpoint. These were the Judaizing teachers And they thought that through their keeping of various aspects of God's law in the Old Testament, that they deserved to be saved. Look at verses 4 through 11 of Philippians 3. Here's another I-N-G word, counting, counting. The chapter begins with having the joy of Christ. It goes to dealing with those who are enemies of Christ. And then it talks about doing arithmetic for Christ. David Truitt, you probably will like this part, especially being a math teacher for many years. 4 through 11, as Paul dealt with his past... He goes on to say in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings and to be made conformable to His death. 
When Paul added everything up in his life, apart from Jesus, there was really nothing that would last. Nothing. But with Jesus, everything that's eternal and that lasts. Look at 12 through 16. 12 through 16. The ING expression, reaching. Reaching. When I read this passage, I feel that I am about an inch tall because here is Paul saying that he is not satisfied with where he was spiritually. He wanted to press on to greater Christ-likeness. I think that there's something to think about in that passage for all of us. Reaching. The idea is that I am not where I want to be. I am not the Christian that I want to be. But I'm going to press on to the goal. I want to be more like my Lord and Savior. That is the ultimate prize for me. Now look at 17 through 19, another I-N-G word, weeping. Weeping. Here's a book of joy, Joe. And it's the only time that you'll see tears. Tears when he contemplates people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. It is interesting that no particular sin is specifically mentioned. The word sin, to the best of my knowledge, does not even occur, Jim Lorenz, in Philippians. And yet, in principle, it certainly helps us deal with sin because it deals with mindset and Christ-centeredness. It deals with the Spirit of Christ. And then, look at verses 20 and 21. The I-N-G word is waiting. Waiting. A lot of us have been waiting for a year and a half now for things to open up more. Maybe you've been trying to get in to see a doctor and have had to wait. If you've tried to find uh, toilet paper or hand sanitizer at points earlier, you had to do some waiting probably at some point. Waiting can be hard. But we wait with anticipation for the Lord's return. Because our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. We wait for a Savior who shall fashion anew the body of our humiliation and shall conform it to His own glorious body. Chapter 4. In chapter 4, the words I'd like for you to remember are the words peace and security. Peace and security. Wouldn't it be great to have peace of mind and a greater sense of security? That's what this chapter deals with. Philippians 4, 1 through 3 deal with peace in, and security in the church. You got two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche. They have a personality difference going on. I know that for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, if one of them or both of them were just completely in the wrong concerning a doctrinal matter, Paul would have said so. 
as an apostle and would have appealed to apostolic authority. That's not what he does. Now, the words are strong, but it's not like he is really pressing the authority of the apostle position. He says, I exhort Euodia, Steve Horton. But he doesn't just say, I exhort Euodia. He says, I exhort Syntyche. What applies to one of these ladies applies to the other equally to be of the same mind of the Lord in the Lord. I exhort you also, true yoke fellow, for, ha- for uh, help these women, for they labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. This was a matter of judgment, but sometimes people can have differences in judgment that hurt the unity and harmony of the church. Will we be God-centered enough to encourage people when they do this to be of the same mind in the Lord? That's what Paul did. Peace and unity in the church. Peace and harmony. Peace and security. Look at 4 and following. About verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7. Peace in the heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearance be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Peace in the heart. Security in the heart. With joy. A lack of worry. A presence of trust. Peace. Look at 8 and 9. Peace in the mind. The things upon which we are to think. Steve read that in our scripture reading this evening. The things upon which we are to think. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now look at verses 10 through 14. 10. I'll make it through... 12, please. 10 through 12. Peace concerning things. A lot of times we like peace because of things that are going on, stuff that's going on in our lives. Philippians 4, 10 through 12 addresses peace as it regards things. And then I love verses 13 through 19 of Philippians 4. Peace concerning the concern of others. Peace about the concern of others. You know, sometimes as Christians we get in helper mode, but sometimes we need to be in the helped position. Isn't that true for all of us? We might be there to help people, and yet sometimes when we're on that receiving end of the help, we don't know how to respond. There is a marvelous example of how to respond from Paul in Philippians 4, 13 through 19. 
He remembers how good the Philippians had been to him through the years. And he humbly thanks them and he thanks the Lord for using them to be so good to him. Working in their life to bless his. Look at verses 20 through 23. Peace concerning the future. Three words that all begin with G. You want peace in the future? Think about the glory of God, first of all. Paul does. Think about, secondly, greeting the brethren and trying to treat brethren the way we would want to be treated ourselves. That's also in this section 20 through 23. Greet all the brethren and treat them accordingly. And then lastly, grace. If you have concerns about the future, the glory of God and greeting your brethren and loving them the way we ought and considering the grace of God will help the future to be a lot brighter. This book's all about attitude and outlook and disposition. Sometimes we all need an attitude adjustment, don't we? Only one person who's ever lived never needed an attitude adjustment. This book blesses all the rest of us. Thanks for listening. We're about to stand and sing a song of encouragement That will come up on the projector. I hope you'll sing with joy. And that there will be peace in your hearts. Because you have been made right with God through Jesus. May God help us in our struggles to be more God-centered. May God help us to be less selfish and more considerate. May God help us to think of our circumstances in view of eternity, that would help us a lot. Let's stand and sing.